gosh, you know, we in America here, we're living at the hub of capitalism. And we have a problem with over-extraction on all fronts. And this is from human beings right on down to our natural resources. This is A New Angle, and I'm your host, Justin Angle, marketing professor at the University of Montana College of Business. This podcast is my chance to speak with cool people doing awesome things in and around the great state of Montana. We are proudly underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot. Hey folks, welcome back and thanks for tuning in. Today we bring you part one of our mini-series on healthy sport. And this is a topic of deep personal relevance to me and I'm excited to bring you our next several episodes. For better and worse, sport has brought me many of the best things in my life. High school sports shaped my work ethic and value system. Rowing was essentially my major in college, and it's how I met my wife. And since college, I've built my life and identity around endurance sports, sometimes to the point of dysfunction. And now, as a parent, I'm seeing it all from a different perspective, with more responsibility and consequence. I know many of you are similar. So I was super excited when Jesse Thomas reached out about putting this series together. Jesse is a former smoke jumper, lifetime mountain athlete, and a wellness coach. In today's conversation, Jesse and I are joined by Leah Verstegen, former collegiate soccer player and now a physical therapist, coach, and parent of budding athletes. We also have Anya Gu, a PT and former collegiate athlete herself, and someone who's struggled with her relationship to sport for many years. This conversation has many threads. We grapple with the purpose of sports the risks of specialization, the role of coaches, and the signs of trouble to look for in ourselves, our friends, and our children. These are big problems in our society, and we do our best to describe the current state of play and how we ended up here. So here we go with part one of our Healthy Sports series right now. Okay, so I'm here today with Leah Verstegen, Jesse Thomas, and Anya Gu. Ladies, thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having us. So we've gathered to talk about kind of a a broad, big topic, healthy sport, and we can define that in so many ways. We're going to kind of dig into that together. But, you know, Jesse, let's start with you. I mean, you reached out to me. You've been kind of, well, all three of you have been working in this space for a while, but Jesse, you were trying to put together um, some programming around this and through, you know, your coaching practice and through your experience Talk about your motivation to to dig into a topic like this. I really saw a lot of, I guess really mostly I was talking with a lot of parents who um, maybe wanted to talk to me about certain things they were noticing with their, their athletes um, or their child's um, health. And some of the things that they were noticing um, in terms of the amount of training that they were doing and and just just some of the kind of health problems they were coming up against. And I just thought it was really interesting. And, and one of the common themes that I noticed with a lot of these parents and these families is that they all seem to feel personally responsible and that uh, they really kind of felt that there was some shortcoming on their end and that they needed to maybe just talk about it in private or keep it secret. Like it was something that they were only going through um, exclusively and I thought that was really interesting, um, and it really just seemed to me that that it was maybe something that a community conversation would would shift um, some of these common pitfalls pa- parents were coming up against. 
And so it was really kind of out of the motivation to to just shed some light on some of these topics. And, and a, there's a lot to unpack with all of the different, originally what we were planning on was a film event where we were going to show three different films that touched on basically three different topics. One of them was um, women supporting women in sport. One of them was equality disparities in sport for women. And then some of them were, you know, some of it was about eating disorders or disordered eating and how that's reinforced uh, either through, through athletic teams or social media. And um, those were just the really broad topics we were going to open up the conversation to. And then there was going to be panelists who Leah and Anya were, were part of the panel discussion. And I really didn't have a huge you know, goal other than to strike up a conversation amongst people who felt like this maybe was just a problem they were going through. And then as I started kind of going down this road, one of the things that became really clear to me and was something that really needed to be addressed was that this was not exclusive to females. And the problems that that men and boys see um, are different. Um, some of them are, they have, you know, some similarities, but that uh, a lot of those problems men needed to find a way to address too. And in a lot of ways, there was even less dialogue and conversation in, in the community or in the, in the world going on for boys. And so it was even more confusing and uh, even harder for them to talk about it. And so the, with that discovery, the idea was to keep the event the same, but recognize that when anybody talks about any aspect of their health that they're struggling with, I guess, in a public way, it opens up the doors for everyone else to address it as well. And so that was, that was the original idea. And it's been really awesome meeting Anya and Leah and um, getting to know a little bit more from their aspects of things, um, how this works on their end and some of the things that they notice. And um, yeah, I mean, there's just a wealth of resource in this community. And I just thought, well, gosh, let's open this up to people so that they can tap into this and, have a better experience. Indeed. And, and what you're talking about resonates so much. I mean, so many aspects of, of parenting and health. I mean, you sort of feel all alone often, yet we're not all alone. And so many of us are fighting some of the same battles. And I think that's particularly salient now with COVID. It's like affecting us all, but in, in different ways. But there is sometimes a reluctance to share around that. So Leah, talk about how how you plug into this. I mean, you have a history um, with with college athletics. I think you were a soccer player, if that's correct. And then now you're a um, you know phys- a practicing physical therapist. And and often people come to you kind of broken. You might you know not like that characterization, but but often that's people come to you with problems, right? And, and I think what we're talking about here is a conversation that's a little bit more trying to be more proactive than reactive to this to this. Uh, to this culture that, that maybe doesn't communicate as well as it can. Yeah. So it's interesting because I feel like my role has shifted throughout my life, but it's always come back to the center of, of athletics and sport and what that means to me and how I've kind of built um, who I am around, around sport. So I did, I played soccer through college and that was what paid for my education and it was kind of my life for a long time and graduated um, 
moved out to Montana and started coaching. So I shifted from being just the the player, the athlete to a coach. And I, I kind of immediately dove into the competitive scene, which was competitive youth travel soccer. And as I think a lot of people out there know, um, young people get involved in sport at a competitive level at a much earlier age. And I was just kind of diving into that and seeing the extent of the training and team building that was or was not happening um, and the focus that parents and coaches and clubs and players all seem to have on this idea of the more training, the better and practice, practice, practice. And um, so I got really interested in what was happening with athletes. And then my role changed again and I entered uh, graduate school and I, I pursued a master's in exercise science and started studying what was happening with the the human body and um, response to different stressors like sports and all the various obstacles that we come up against as, as humans and being a female athlete, of course, my interest kind of skewed off to what was happening with, with women in sport um, going in towards overtraining and nutrition and stress management, sleep cycles, all of these aspects that play into our performance levels and as I was finishing my degree, I was like, well, how can I help these people? You know, I don't want to just study it. And I was coaching and and I think impacting some of the local community members that were in the soccer world. But that's kind of what drove me into physical therapy was this was a, an avenue, a profession that I could pursue where I could um, get into the space of athletes, not just young women, but young men or adult athletes where this a lot of the issues that young people face continue on into adulthood and um, kind of shape who they are in terms of injuries as they as they grow and develop. Um, so that was my my path. And looking back at it, I'm like very grateful that I took that path while I was in it. I think I was like a lot of young people, kind of grasping for straws and figuring out what direction I was going to go. Um, and now I'm a mom. So now I have two kids who are both in competitive sports. And so this is a, an interesting topic for me to dive into as a parent now, seeing what's happening, um, what has changed and what's better and what hasn't changed and still needs to be addressed. Yeah, so Anya, let's let's move to you. You're also a, a physical therapist, and you know we've worked together. Um, you know, I've been a patient of yours uh, probably multiple times. I can't keep track of it at this point, being so dinged up. But you know, I, I know you have a personal relationship with with these topics as well, sort of helping people through them, but also helping yourself uh, through some of the challenges with a healthy with establishing a healthy relationship with sport. Um, Talk about why this is a passion area for you. I guess I, I do have a personal history um, just as an athlete uh, in pre-high school, I guess. I was pretty competitive in gymnastics, um, so developed a lot of identity just as as an athlete and spending all of my spare time you know, being an athlete. Had a pretty healthy relationship with body image and self through all of that. Um, hit some major burnout. And when I was a freshman in high school, kind of tried to find another sport. Um, so I dabbled with diving and cross-country track. And finally, the track coach was like, you know, you should try pole vaulting since you're a gymnast. You've got some 
body awareness. So I started pole vaulting and had a lot more success with that than the distance running that I was trying to do, even though I, I preferred that. Um, so I went on to uh, compete in college at, at UM as a pole vaulter. And I guess I, during that transition from gymnastics to kind of trying to find a new identity as an athlete, that coincided with going through puberty and seeing my body change. Um, and I really sort of dove into disordered eating during that time. And it's, it's a fuzzy sort of timeline for me still. I don't know how, but by the time I was, you know, into my college training as a pole vaulter, I would, I developed a full-blown eating disorder and I, I made it through the first year of college okay and and through summer um and and when i started college or started practice again the fall of my sophomore year i did seek out some help um so i was i had a treatment team set up by the the university um sports program with you know a doctor a dietitian and a therapist and i felt like i got through it then um and ended up quitting track, uh, partly just because I realized I wasn't happy and that was feeding into some of the eating disorder. But my re- real passion, I always felt like lay in just adventuring and more endurance type sports. So I started getting into running and felt like I had a really healthy relationship with food and body. Um, but looking back, didn't so much. Um, and as I like to say, I'm probably, you know, even though I'm a, I'm a physical therapist treating um, a lot of endurance athletes, I'm, I feel like I'm the most injured athlete I know. (laughs) And, uh, a lot of that is due to just not treating my body well, um, under fueling, overtraining and, um, just banging myself up. And I, through kind of going through PT school, having multiple injuries, relapsing with the eating disorder, I have realized that, you know, in, with my injuries, there's no amount of PT that can like PT exercises or treatment that can really like quote unquote fix sort of a mental issue. And so through my kind of developing into a physical therapist who treats a lot of athletes, um, I feel like if I really am going to do a good job at treating the whole person, I need to be able to understand when or if there's a psychological component that's inhibiting the recovery. And often that is either an eating disorder or just an over identity or not over identity, but when people identify as being an athlete and then they become injured, there can be just all sorts of different negative feedback cycles that can keep them from progressing um, into a healthy person. So that's (laughs) sort of in short where I'm at. I guess I, I have been in, in the last year, I've kind of gone through a lot of pretty hefty treatment for the eating disorder. And I'm now in a really great place, better than I ever thought um, I could be. And, and so I am in a place where I feel like I actually could help people as opposed to just kind of what I've done for the last you know 15 years is hide it away as my deep, dark secret and um, just kind of research it to <laughs> oblivion. Sure, yeah. <laughs> Well, I appreciate you sharing that, Anya. It's a powerful story and takes courage to talk about it. And, and that's, I mean, you know, I think Leah mentioned this before, like the, the talking about it is one of the, the key pieces here that, that you know, we're, we're in this together. 
Anya, you mentioned the word identity several times in your comments there, and that's a powerful force in all of this sort of culture that has some uh, some dysfunction. And, you know, Jesse, let's start with you. We're talking about like some of these forces that create a dysfunctional relationship to sport, whether it's in the athlete or whether it's parents. I mean, a lot of it is identity. You know, we're, we're, we're sort of, there's a lot of kind of um, incentives to create an identity around a particular sport that probably leads into forms of, you know, pressures to specialize and so forth. There's different social groups in your in your development as an adolescent and as a high school athlete. Like, talk about your kind of experience, um, you know, as a parent and then also as a, as a coach of others and yourself. Like, talk about the role of identity in your experience here. Yeah, gosh, it's a lot to one. I mean, this is just so much to unpack. Yeah, and huge. I think, yeah, it's huge. And I, I always have to remind uh, myself and others, you know, I kind of have to start off with this point. And I think COVID, as crazy hard as the last several months have been, it's this, it's there's a way that COVID has pierced the veil on so many things, so many problems that we as a culture and a society have been um, grappling with or not grappling with, um, but just living with. And when we talk about identity, when it comes to sport or to anything, gosh, you know, we in America here, we're living at the hub of capitalism and we have a problem with over extraction on all fronts. And this is from human beings right on down to our natural resources. Um, and so I really feel like it's important to to bring that point in and then also, you know, talk about the way COVID has heightened our maybe experiences with identity in sport or um, drawn some awareness to it. Uh, I think a lot of parents have really struggled with, you know, sports teams this year have had to really make a lot of compromises um, in how they engage with their sport because, everybody's trying to flatten the curve and, and get ahead of this virus. And um, so when teenagers are faced with a situation where their sport is all of a sudden taken away from them or they can't have access to it and they're thrown into maybe sort of an existential crisis, I think that's a really good kind of segue into asking ourselves, well, what about that makes sense? Um, you know, if you look at the kind of evolvement of kids through school and you start with the younger kids and they have, um, access to playing and they can, um, go out onto the playground at school that they, they can be with their friends on and they can just play all kinds of silly games and do kind of, you know, just kind of make up things as they go. And that's a great big source of joy for them. And then you go to middle school and they're, the play equipment's not there and there's less free time and, and they have less, you know, non-structured time to, to be in their day and experience their world. And then you go to high school and the expectation is that they're supposed to be like miniature adults and live life like uh, an adult would. And that just like physically, neurologically is not where those people are at. And um, I think a lot of that comes from us living in a culture that doesn't really know how to experience fun and joy in the same way that we used to say 50 years ago. And, um, and what happens when adults lose access to that, the unfortunate and unintended consequences of that are that we project that onto our young people. And we have the 
expectation that they're going to live like we do. And I mean, I can tell you that in the last seven months, the screws have come down on people pretty hard in lots of ways. And the pressures that parents face are enormous. But that being said, I I have never met a parent that doesn't love their child more than um, anything. I haven't met a single parent that wouldn't walk through fire um, for their child. And um, I think that's something to recognize. I think that we tend to forget our significance as parents, um, especially the older our, our our kids get, because the more independent they look and the more... Um, kind of like us, they talk and they they experience things and they can relay their feelings and and so we kind of lose connection with how much they need us, even if they uh, say make us walk through barbed wire to get to them. That's just all part of being a teenager, and it's part of what makes it hard. And I'm not here to pretend that I have teenagers. I have um, ele- elementary school aged kids. But working with teenagers for um, the last 20 years, I have to say, like, the most um, important thing, and and even me as an athlete, as a young person, you know, I don't remember what game we won. I don't remember um, this event or that event. I remember the coaches who I felt connected with. And um, I think that's the key piece that gets lost in all this hustle and bustle to try to be high performance at earlier and earlier ages. Like, Um, Anya and Leah brought up um, is that, you know, we just lose that sense of how important our, our just meaningful connections are with young people. And that sport is, it's important to be able to try your hardest to do, you know, whatever sport you're doing, but it also just kind of, we kind of need to go back to the drawing board and get back to basics uh, when it comes to sport and just finding a way to have joy in it and make it a fun experience rather than focused on competition and specialization and performance. And a lot of times parents will accidentally or unintentionally focus on that because it looks like the rest of the world is heading that direction. And then also sometimes parents, you know, we're not perfect. We sometimes have our own unresolved issues we bring to the table where we really wanted that for ourselves and didn't acquire or didn't attain it the way we wanted to. And so then we kind of go through our children to get it. And it's, it's unfortunate because we're missing the beauty of the moment. Yeah, so many important factors in there. I mean, I think of my experience as, as a parent too, you know, you, you want what's best for your child. You love your child so much and you want to create opportunities for them. You want them to thrive. And then you layer on top of this, this culture that's sort of designed around this, teaching this professionalized approach to sport from a very young age. And as a parent, like if like take soccer for example, it feels like if you don't have your kid in you know all this select premier fancy soccer stuff by the time they're age five, like you're left behind. Like that kid's yeah. never going to be able to catch up. At least that's sort of the perception of the culture. Leah, let's let's shift to you. I mean, because you're probably seeing the outcomes. Um, all of all of us are seeing these outcomes, but you're probably seeing you know kids come into your practice that. You know, they're talking about the number of hours they're spending on a particular sport, doing a particular thing. Like this, this notion of specialization, it has real costs, both in terms of physical health, mental health, etc. You know, thinking about J- Jesse's comments about the culture, how does that intersect with with your practice, Leah? 
Yeah, so it, I, I agree with Jesse and that there's just so much to unpack here. And um, the role outside of parenting of coaches and of healthcare providers uh, in connecting with athletes is just, it's so important, especially as children go into middle school and into high school and they're they're going through a lot of changes physically. Um, I think that that the industry in terms of physical therapy and physicians and healthcare have identified that the hormonal changes that take place with children starting in as early as fourth or fifth grade and persisting through high school do have a a large influence, a big impact on the physical manifestation of injuries and overtraining. And there's been a lot of media, especially in the last couple of years, which I've appreciated emphasizing the importance of playing multiple sports or not just focusing on one sport, but reintroducing the play back into sport, as Jesse mentioned. And and it cycles in with just everything uh, in terms of an athlete. And I have to open those conversations with the, the folks coming into my clinic with the young athletes. And it's not just physical when they come in with an injury. A New Angle is brought to you by First Security Bank and Blackfoot, two cool companies doing awesome things all over Montana. This is Cameron Lawrence, MIS professor in the College of Business. And you're listening to A New Angle. It's almost always related to stress levels in their life. And of course, right now with COVID, we are all living in an upregulated state of stress. So we all have that kind of underlying level of stress going on in our lives. But then you layer on to that the social stressors of children in middle school and high school, the stress that's placed on them by coaches, by teachers, by parents um, to perform and to excel and to be the best. And then it starts to impact their sleep. And that might be one of the biggest pluses of COVID is our young athletes are getting so much sleep. And it is so good for them. Um, But previously, you know, hockey players waking up at 4.30 in the morning to be at the rink at 5 a.m. Swimmers also notorious for waking up early um, or, you know, just training during off hours. And all of that plays into what we see in the physical therapy clinic with injuries and just trying to open that conversation with athletes and giving them a safe place to talk where they don't have the pressure to perform, I think is one of my roles as a physical therapist. I'm not their coach. I'm not their parent. I'm not their teacher. I'm not their best friend. I'm not there judging them. I'm there just purely to help them. And I, I think treating them as a whole individual and addressing that there is more than just the physical manifestation of an injury is of the utmost importance. Yeah, that's an interesting, I mean, I think about that, your comment there about, you know, sort of being, you're you're an insider and an outsider at the same time. Like you're not, your role is not to evaluate talent or make uh, selections or tell a player, you know, he or she can play or not. And I think having space and, you know, people in your care team that are kind of have that orientation can be really useful a couple of interesting themes there, Anya. I'd like to transition to you. 
Um, you, you talked about your experience and you know how, how you know at different times you had different people sort of um, in your care team. And you talk about the role of coaches in all this, because sometimes, you know, the, the, the problems and challenges you're describing, the identity components as well, like those are the things that are hard to, oftentimes it's hard to trust a coach about stuff like this. And I'm sure you've had all sorts of different experiences. What do you see about the role of coaches in your own experience, but in also creating a healthier experience for others? Well, first of all, Leah, I just love what, you just said about being there, um, just as a, I don't know, someone to help the whole person that just makes me so happy to hear. Um, but anyway, so yeah, I thought a lot about coaches. I know a lot with the, the Mary Kane story that came out and kind of the big conversation that started to happen around, you know, careful what you say and, and, um, how big of a role coaches can have on, on a female's like relationship with, with body image and whatnot. Um, for me personally, it's, I had such amazing coaches that never said anything very harmful. And same with my parents. My parents were extremely supportive my high school track cross country coach was was very aware of um, just the potential s- stresses and and body image issues that that people can you know go through. So he he actually was somebody who, when I came back after my freshman year from college, he asked like, "How are you doing? You don't you know you look like you might have a problem." Um, and I just was in a state of denial. Um, but I always think back to him and just am so grateful that he even like noticed and said something, um, even though I didn't act on it. Uh, so I, I do think that coaches have a role in, in helping develop a culture that is healthy and, and kind of, um, emphasizing that it is not, it's not normal to be, um, restricting your food or losing your period or doing extra training when you're, when you're too tired. So I do think that they have a really big role. I think my personal experience was not necessarily one of, of a negative impacts um, that coaches had. But that said, even some very small comments can be made that, that can be sort of triggering into negative behaviors. Just, you know, as a pole vaulter in high school, we had to weigh in um, at, at meets so that because the poles have flex ratings um, that they should have just probably they, to make it safe. They, they don't want you to be on a pole that flexes too much um, when you're a certain weight. And so you have to weigh in to make sure that your pole is safe for you. But if you had a pole that worked really well for you um, and it was right kind of at the limit of the weight, then we were told, you know, make sure you don't eat a bunch of salty foods before your weigh in or drink a bunch of water. And so that definitely brought this attention to, you know, just restricting food. I remember asking one of the wrestlers in my school, like, how do you lose weight really quickly to make your, you know, weight class? And he's like, well, I'll just stop eating. Um, so, so small comments like that can be, I don't know. It makes me think about how much of all of the, um, kind of native negative things that we're seeing are just developed from intrinsic characteristics that 
successful athletes have. So um, a lot of really successful athletes have these type A personalities. They're a lot of perfectionism, delayed gratification, And it doesn't really matter, it seems like, how much they're told to back off or take care of themselves. They still kind of want to push, push, push. And in a way, that helps them be successful in their sport, but it also can kind of – it's like too much of a good thing can kind of come back and and bite them in the butt. (laughs) Um, So then it's like, well, how do we we try to develop that and cultivate that characteristic into something that's going to be – helpful for them. And I think that that's a big question um, to, try, to try to figure out and, and to identify those individuals so that even when coaches are saying the right things, parents are saying the right things, there's probably some other sort of intervention that can happen to cultivate that, that personality type. Yeah. I mean, there's so much in that, Anya. I mean, the word endurance itself, right? Like if you're to create a meritocracy around endurance, it you would define it as who can endure the most. And those attributes, like you said, I mean, those contribute to tremendous success for so many athletes, but it can also get us in the ditch and create a really unhealthy relationship to our bodies, to our care, uh, you know, and, and, and identity too can be out of balance and um, manifest in some really unhealthy behaviors. You layer on social media, the influence of others, fear of missing out, all this other stuff. And it, it, it can be really um, culturally devastating. Um, Jesse, talk about uh, your experience with uh, coaching and coaches. I mean, so often, you know, as we think about coaches, it, it, it's apparent that volunteers and oftentimes, you know, the, the first thing that, that a league or a sport is concerned about is, does this parent know enough about soccer, tennis, uh, football, whatever the case may be, to be an effective coach. But, but what we're hearing is, is maybe we should be selecting people that uh, understand you know, child development and health and wellness and, and, and other things like that a little bit more deeply before we put them um, in these positions of responsibility with our, with our, uh, with our young people. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a lot of different things. And I, uh, like this whole topic and, um, you know, a lot of what was just talked about and, and both Leah and Anya have touched on it. And it's just, you know, it's what's appropriate for that specific person at that specific age. Um, so somebody at the age of 16, maybe can handle a training volume and, and the type of intensity that, um, someone at the age of 18 can handle or whatever, you know, there's developmental, um, kind of ebbs and flow, uh, with, with an athlete's endocrine system. This is both male and female. So it's a lot, it's a lot of things. If you are a coach and you have a training program that you plan to implement that season, Everybody is going to be, especially if you're working with teenagers, everybody's going to be at a different developmental phase. Um, but what that athlete is going to do is they're going to, you know, athletes are geared to, I guess, in a way, please their coach. They want to perform. And so they're going to go through the plan um, and, and they'll maybe get through the plan and their body, you know, just compensates really, really well. Maybe some of the training ad- adaptations are um, appropriate and positive. And then sometimes you know, young people can get into holes really, um, really pretty quickly. And, and with 
without a discussion around what a hole looks like, those athletes will just keep going, even though their health is failing them or being compromised in ways that's hard to reverse. And um, that's, that's significant. And I think that a lot of coaches really need to stop. And I've noticed a lot of positive changes happening. I've noticed a lot of coaches um, getting into this information and taking a look at it and, and, you know, working on saying the word period or menstruation, even if you can't say it in front of the group, you know, maybe practice in front of a mirror or bring in a, another coach who can talk to your, to your athletes about, you know, healthy menstruation being a, a, a part of um, a healthy athlete. Because, you know, I know when I was in high school, if a, one of my fellow teammates stopped having their period, they stopped playing whatever sport we were involved in. I was in soccer and I was in cross country. And if one of our athletes stopped having their period, they were pulled from the team, not in a, not in a uh, punishment sort of way, but in a like, Hey, that's something we need to address. And we're going to get, we're going to do that by giving you some more time to rest and figure out kind of what's going on. Um, but now a days, it just seems like it's just something that gets swept under the rug and it's sort of the nudge, nudge, wink, wink, let's just carry on and, and, or there's just more shame around it. So people don't talk about it, but there's, you know, there's also, I think since Mary Kane's story came out last November, a year ago, there's, there's been a wave of, of change and people taking this on. So that's super positive And I'm really glad to see that happen. Um, but again, you know, it's, it's coaches that, but there's also just teenagers are up against so many things and are so vulnerable to the messages that are coming across the screen through social media. And especially so now with COVID, everybody's spending way more time on screens. So that is, um, you know, that's a huge, that's a huge obstacle, um, in the path of, of figuring out this big complicated problem. Yeah. And what you're describing there, particularly with, you know, menstruation, you got it, it, you know, you have to rely on the young woman to talk about it. You know, the coach can ask and the coach should ask, but you also have that also, you know, you rely on, on the athlete to sort of self-report what she's experiencing. There's all kinds of perverse incentives around, well, do I, do I tell coach that I'm not having my period? And then you talk to your friends and your friends say, well, maybe it's, you know, that's normal and you're going to do better if you don't. Like all this sort of toxic um, culture that can take hold in different groups. And it's different from team to team and culture to culture. Um, yeah. And if you as a coach, you know, if, you, if the setup is that you don't maybe feel like the right person to facilitate that conversation, um, it's, it's important that you find someone who is. Um, and it's not just about being able to facilitate the conversation. It's it's also about having a relationship. I mean, that's how the conversation happens. It's not like I'm here to talk to you about your period, and then you're you know kind of expecting everyone to be comfortable with that because that's probably not going to work. Yeah, hundred percent. So let's in, in our remaining time, and let's start with you, Leah. What I'd like to do is sort of shift to you know for sort of for listeners who, who you know or maybe you know have children navigating this space, navigating it themselves, um, whatever the case may be, like what are some things, some signs um, that people should look for, whether it's in their children, whether it's in the coaches of their children, or whether it's in themselves that, 
that, hey, my relationship to sport might not be optimal or there's some things I can improve. Um, what are some some red flags that you see, Leah, out there? Um, yeah, so they're, the easy ones are probably that a lot of parents hear when your child stops talking to you, when they distance themselves, um, when you don't see them interacting with their friends as much. But I, I do want to kind of go back to the, the coach aspect and the importance of the coach facilitating a level of comfort of communication, not just between the coach and the players, but within the team itself and the importance of social connection within sport, because I think that if you can foster the feeling of being a part of something bigger than who you are as an individual for the players on your team, then you're, you're going to find a way to open the discussion around a lot of these topics that we're introducing today um, and give your athletes just a, a place. Um, as I mentioned earlier, as a healthcare provider, I get to provide that place for some athletes. I try to provide that place for my children to come talk to me. I've coached competitive soccer for 20 years. As a coach, I feel that it's my duty to create a place for the players to talk not only to me, but to each other. Um, one of the kind of coolest lessons I learned from another coach who I admire a lot was starting each practice especially I've always coached young women, but with a place for them to share with each other, nothing about sport unless they want to or soccer, but just about their day. And we call it your highs and lows. And they kind of sit in a circle and whoever wants to share that day can share their high or their low. And it is one of the coolest bonding experiences to watch these kids and the funniest things that they decide to share with each other. Like their Spanish teacher made them do 10 push-ups and, and <laughs> stimulate this whole conversation of why is your Spanish teacher having you do push-ups? Right. Oh, and it, it's this little game that they play in Spanish class. And um, as they get older, they continue to share and they continue to feel like they have a place to be. So I think as a, as a parent or as a coach or as a healthcare provider, uh, if you see that those athletes are no longer sharing and they're not smiling and they're not bringing joy to the fact they're playing sport because it is play. That's the biggest red flag when when you see them distance themselves and not want to talk. Yeah, speaks to the you know the importance of the relationship piece that, that Jesse brought up earlier. Um, Anya, I'd love to ask you this question and, and kind of um, if you're willing. Like I, I know there's red flags in myself, so you know I haven't really talked about this too much in this conversation, but. In my relationship to sport, and particularly endurance sport, has not been um, very healthy either. I tend to end up in, in an overtrained state, and you know, just sort of am so highly identified with endurance sports that it creates a lot of dysfunctional behavior and bad choices. And, and I've come to sort of—I certainly won't say it's resolved; it is not. But I've started to understand red flags in myself. Like when I start feeling really good, that's, I know that that's when I need to start resting more because my tendency is to be addicted to that really good feeling. And I want to keep it going as long as I can. And then I, you know, get hurt or get sick or get overcooked. Um, have you developed some, some sort of, as you've, as you've worked through this, have you sort of developed some 
some understanding of here are the signs I should be looking for when I know I got to, I got to make some changes in my patterns? Yeah, absolutely. I, a lot of it has actually not been, it did not start with these intrinsic like red flags. Um, sadly it had to come from me like researching what those might be because looking back on it, every time I'd have those red flags, I somehow would talk myself out of it being a problem and push right through it. Um, so, you know, I think that this is actually pretty common when, when you start to feel that just incredible fatigue, you're unable to sleep, you know, you go for, you start running and you're like, make it 10 minutes and you just feel like your legs won't even move. You know, that's pretty strong sign that you need to back off, sleep, eat some more food and, and recover. But of course, um, I, you can get in that mindset of like, oh, I must be out of shape. I must've gained weight. I gotta, you know, and then you just do the opposite of what you need to do. And the sad thing is, is it didn't matter how much I like researched that and could kind of say, it could be that too, or even knew deep inside that that's what it was like, could not stop that pattern. Um, and, and I think that goes back to sort of what you said about, um, we can talk to athletes about, you know, having periods and menstruation, but like you said, it's the, it's the athlete that needs to be able to report that something's not right. Um, and so first they have to know that that's not right, but second, they have to be willing to, to share that. Um, and so for me, I knew it wasn't right. I had plenty of people telling me that I needed to be menstruating, but I made it 10 plus years, uh, being amenorrheic without really addressing it. And even when I would start telling, healthcare professionals that I, I wasn't menstruating, they, a lot of times would, would just say, well, you run a lot, so it's okay. So that's definitely a problem. And I do think that that education is, is improving amongst healthcare providers, um, to not promote that message. But so, so I guess for me, it's, it, it, what has made those red flags become real is, well, a period of, of, um, having like multiple, professionals hold my hand through it um, and and having to sit through the discomfort of seeing what happens when I actually do take care of my body, because there's this intense fear that came with that of if I do back off training and start eating more and actually try to take care of my body, you know, is that going to turn me into this lazy, slobby person? Um, And so once I had to endure that discomfort and realize like, no, that's not true. And I actually, it's, it's incredible to feel good again. Now I have the clarity to go and see, you know, the research on, you know, some of the physiological and performance side effects of, of relative energy deficiency in sport that you can, you know, we haven't necessarily talked specifically about what that is, but I think if we can educate athletes on specifically the performance deficits that they might see when they're having um, an energy deficiency issue or overtraining issue, including, um, just decreased performance, um, cardiovascular issues, just all these negative effects that they don't want to see. I think that that can be a motivator to get, to get them back on track. So it's like, if you're losing your period, you may have a temporary improvement in performance because that does happen sometimes. And it can kind of trick you into thinking like, oh, I'm fine. I'm defying what everyone says isn't, isn't um, true. Like everybody's saying when you lose your period, you're not healthy and things are going to go downhill. But I'm somehow 
making it work and I'm like a superhero. (laughs) But, you know, then you long term, that is not going to last. And so so I've actually I can now look back and see all of those signs were happening with me and I just was in denial. So now, yeah, when I have the heavy leg feeling when my um, you know, I've had more than three bone stress injuries um, that were all preceded by tibial pain. So whether or not that was actually a, just a bone, a a mild bone stress injury that was just indicating that, that there was a deficiency happening, or if it was just some, um, some periosteal edema of like a medial tibial stress syndrome, whenever I start to get that, that shin pain, I'm like, Ooh, I got to back off a little bit and, and think about like my, my sleep, my nourishment, my recovery. And then I do, it's pretty, for, for me, it's pretty like clockwork. If I miss a period, I know exactly why now. And, um, and I know that like, it's only going to lead to me feeling like crap. And I, and before it used to be in my mind, a sign that I was doing well, or I freak out and think I was pregnant. (laughs) So I have multiple times where I'm like, Oh, I'm tired. I missed a period. I must be pregnant. And, you know, I can't tell you how many times that happened when, when I knew really probably what was going on. Um, but now I know, I know that that's, that's just a sign that I'm not taking care of my body and that even if I feel okay in the moment, I'm, I'm not going to feel good in, in a little while. And, and hormones do, they, they seem to have a delay. Sometimes you, you feel good and then, you know, it, it can even take a month or two to have like the real impact start to, to come, come on. So anyway, I'm, I'm kind of babbling on, but yeah, at this point it is so interesting to be able to actually feel my body and, and listen to it. Um, and, and really feel what it, how worth it it is to take care of it because I had so many years of just feeling worse and worse and worse and just thinking that it was because I was becoming weaker and weaker and weaker and now realizing that, well, I was, but it was, it was because I was doing it to myself and I don't really want to do that anymore. Yeah. So much of this seems obvious in retrospect, but so hard to navigate when you're in it. It sort of speaks to the importance of what I think Leah brought up with having this sort of insider-outsider voice, um, if you need it. I mean, some people have have an intuitive way of navigating this. Uh, I don't. Not many do. So yeah, ladies, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. Um, I'm sure people will want to engage more on on this topic. Uh, Jesse, how can people find you and your work online? Uh, yeah, I'm on on social media. I'm on Instagram with sustainable wellness and I have a website, uh, sustainablewellness.net. Um, and you know, I just, yeah, I just really want to emphasize the importance of the relationships, uh, of young people to the parents, to the coaches and to each other, um, that that makes such a huge difference in all of this. And that education piece is, is huge. And this, this community is just so full of so many great people, um, to talk about every different topic involved here. And so um, thanks for having uh, me on the show and thanks for entertaining this conversation. And hopefully um, people can can make some uh, good use of it. Indeed. As you said so well, it's about relationship. It's, it's about open communication. And I'm glad that you reached out and, and we're starting a relationship and a conversation. That's an important one. Anya, how about you? Where can people find you? Uh, let's see, probably the, our Endurance Physio website, endurancephysio.net. Um, we also have Instagram, 
not sure what that handle is. <laughs> I'm sure you can look it up and find it. Um, and then I'm also on Twitter. I'm uh, not sure what that handle is either, but I'm sure you can look it up and find that as well. And yeah, I just thank you to Jesse for, for kind of getting this conversation going. Um, and then and to you, Justin, for being willing to provide a platform for us to kind of share our stories. And I, I suppose I do, I want to say, you know, I talked a lot about my personal experience with, with athletics and body image and eating disorder, but I do, I would like to think that I can carry it into my practice in a way that is helpful. I try not to, I try to leave my story kind of on its own behind. Um, but, but just use it as an insight into what could be going on with, with the individuals I see and more than anything, just to be able to screen for when there may be an issue that needs more, um, more of a treatment team or, or, you know, discussion with coaches um, so that there can be a really collaborative, open um, approach to helping, helping athletes be the best they can be. Mm -hmm. I think that's well put and your experience informs your practice. I think in a really helpful and valuable way for, for our community. Uh, Leah, where can people find you and your work online? Um, well, most often I am probably chasing my kids around on sidelines. So if you're <laughs> on the soccer fields or up at the ski hill or sometimes at the hockey rink, you can find me there. But professionally, um, I work kind of typical outpatient physical therapy at Alpine Physical Therapy. I'm one of the owners there. And you can find me down at the clinic by Blue Mountain. And most recently, kind of a cool project that we started here in Google is a walk-in physical therapy clinic called PhysioTrek. Um, and we're located on Tool Avenue over by DraftWorks. And that's just a clinic where you can pop in kind of on the, the drop of a hat. You don't need a prescription or anything um, and talk to me about sports injuries, running, um, pretty much anything. And I love to treat both young and, and adult athletes. I consider, you know, even us in our forties, fifties and sixties, we're still athletes. So that's where you can find me. Awesome. Well, big thanks to the three of you for starting this important conversation. We're going to carry it on a week from now. Um, with Dr. Rob Amrine and Courtney Babcock, two other important members of, of this community and, and, and experts in this space as well. Ladies, thank you. Thanks for this work, and we'll see you down the road. All right. Thanks, Dad. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. A New Angle is underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot, with support from the University of Montana College of Business and Consolidated Electrical Distributors. AJ Williams is our producer. Jeff Amet, John Wicks, and VTO made our music, and Jeff Meese is our master of all things sound. If you have any questions, suggestions, comments, insults, whatever, please email me at anewangle at umontana.edu. If you like what you heard, tell your friends about it. Thanks a lot, and see you next time.